Doctor, Doctor Dad, Doctor Dad, High Level Peak, Hi. Peak, and Hello. now I'm logged in too. And Doctor Dad, Doctor Dad, two, God, we're talking One, over two, each other. And that's why Dan I likes Nestle Crunch. It's like the orchestra the warming up. Patience, I can't do this, the guys. Cognitive capacity. Not having, not having sleep. I can't do this. You're a slub. Uh, you know, if only you started watching the movie before five o'clock. I, I did at two o'clock, and then. Totally destroyed all of my notes. This is where I make sure to save first, save often. Before I even push play, I yeah, save my notes Yeah, it's also my mistake quick. for not using Word. I use Notepad instead. Oh, I use Notepad every time, so it can judge me for not... Actually, it doesn't judge me. I love that it doesn't judge me. How does one spell Dilophosaurus? Notepad doesn't care. I'm Joe. I'm Ken. I'm Andrew. And I'm Dan. We're the Rewinders Podcast, rewinding movies to see if they hold up. And this time, we heard the thump, thump, thump of the movie Jurassic Park. Oh, I thought you were going to say Harry and the Hendersons. Nope. We need more Billy Crystal. Was Billy Crystal in that movie? No. It's John Lithgow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Same thing. But they should make a uh, Harry and the Hendersons 2 with, with Billy Crystal. That'd be great. Is that possible? <laughs> well, they made the TV show. Yeah, but they could... Was he in the TV just, show? No. no. <laughs> that was still John Lithgow. You're thinking Lithgow. City Slickers. That's, that's Billy Crystal's shtick. And John Lithgow is in that too, right? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> But John Lithgow does play the Dilophosaurus. Oh, okay, perfect. What? Full circle. I knew I was right. In some stage performances, John Lithgow does play Billy Crystal, so maybe that's why you're getting confused. (laughs) I don't know. John Lithgow, as Billy Crystal, as Dennis Nedry, in the musical Barbasol. I like that. (laughs) I like that a lot. Ah, that's good. I like that. I would like to know at least three of the musical numbers from Jurassic Park the musical. Roar. Roar. High voltage. Don't go in there. <laughs> High <Yeah>. voltage. <laughs> Push to close. Ooh. That's my favorite. Meat eater. Metasaurus. Vegisaurus? Question mark? <laughs> Chilean sea bass. Don't eat the Chilean sea bass because no one does. Nobody <laughs> does. That's all it is. <laughs> This is gonna be a this is gonna be a big episode, folks. Four oh, man, maybe. who knows? We yeah. just have to get it's, started. It's been a few seasons since the Rewinders podcast dissected a movie scene by scene, so uh, it may be a little rough, but uh, that's what we're gonna do here. Sweet. We're gonna take Jurassic Park front to end and decide if it holds up (laughs) oh man i know i took my notes in order of the way the movie went just because that's how notes work i didn't go scene by scene i did i completely forgot we were doing scene by scene but i've seen this movie almost a triple digits i don't need i don't need any notes (laughs) i have the movie up in one of my monitors so that i can skip scene to scene so i can be like oh yeah Okay. I have my notes oh, yeah. written okay. by scene, except for the first one because there wasn't anything tied to the first note. It was more of a, what? I wish I would have done a thing before I did a thing, and I thought it was worth. I thought it was noteworthy. Ah, uh, okay. Before we start digging into scene by scene, let's just 
talk a little bit about our history with the movie. I'll kick off real quick because mine's nice and short. I read the book before watching the movie because I knew the movie was coming out. So I uh, read my one and only Michael Crichton book and then was eager to go see the movie and then was so sad the compie were cut out of the film. Mm -hmm. You I too love the compie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I didn't. I wasn't sad until I found out the compies existed and what they did. Then I was super sad. I didn't actually read the book until I was high school age, and I, obviously I watched this way before that. Ah, God, this movie! So many watches. So so such a. It's got a special place in my childhood. This movie came out when I was four. Like I remember the toys being a thing, and like I I had a bunch. A couple of my friends had a bunch, but that was after I think Lost World came out, and I I'm pretty sure that I saw Lost World before I saw the original Jurassic Park, which is explains why I have such a hard time remembering scenes and like how they go in order and whether or not they're in the original movie or not. Mm. But I have seen this movie. Not as much as Rothy, but it's it's easily up in the <laughs> double digits. I got it on Blu-ray. It's a movie that I, if anybody's like, let's watch Jurassic Park, I would not say no. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those movies where when it's playing, people stop and watch. Uh, absolutely. How can you not? Ex- exactly. Exactly. Like, I've seen movies have that effect on people, like places that I've worked in where there's employee lounges and whatnot. It's like Jurassic Park, The Fifth Element. There's just certain movies that just catch your attention for some reason where you can't look away, and it's like everybody gets sucked into the screen. It's fantastic to see that. That's because it. I will say, between The Fifth Element good and this, film. very different reasons people stop. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't even know how to get started without making it my freaking life story, but I remember being five years old. I remember walking past the TV in the living room with a chocolate chip cookie in my hand, and all of a sudden there was an ad on the TV. There was a trailer, and all I remember is the T-Rex chasing a Jeep and running excitedly into the kitchen to ask my parents to come and take a look and beg them that we can go see the movie because they have real dinosaurs. Fast... (laughs) Fast forward to my dad taking me, my dad taking me again with my with my grandpa, my grandpa being blown away to basically it's shaping my entire childhood from the point of renting the Sega Genesis games and playing them every weekend as a child. God, that from game was having almost awful. every single toy. The f- the first one's pretty bad, but I like Rampage Edition. Rampage Edition's a lot of fun. I never I only played the original. I never played Rampage. Oh, the original's pretty original's pretty bad, but Rampage is pretty good. It upped the action. The Super Nintendo <laughs> game is the worst. Oh my god. That was the first one that I got. The very first one. We went to Toys R Us and Fond du Lac. And my parents got me the one for regular Nintendo. Not oh, Super Nintendo. No. Oh no. So you get home. So you get home and it's just like this weird music and top down. It's just like, you know, every time you shoot a dinosaur, it's, it's like, what is this game? It, was, it took me a long time to actually play that game and actually get further than... You know, the first couple levels. I think I was in my, like, late teens when I finally said screw it and played through it. But it was, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, not the best, but it was fun. But, yeah, I mean, I cannot think of another movie singularly that has impacted my life as much as this one. In terms of reinvigorating my love for dinosaurs and basically just tossing so many cool scientific terms and, and things that I hadn't thought about before. It was the first Michael Crichton book that I read. And after reading that, I started reading all the rest of his books. It really kind of opened numerous doors in my life. And it's it's 
it hasn't calmed down at all. <laughs> I honestly think this is also my first Michael Crichton book. Yeah, I remember, I remember reading that going in into sixth the... grade. That was sixth, fifth or sixth grade. Yep, I remember. I think it was sixth grade going into the library at school and, and renting it out. So I think I checked it out at least three, four times before I finished it. But I, I love that book. <laughs> and of course, it's after you read the book you realize what could have been, and you get a little sad because there's so much amazingness mm, in there. But yeah, I, I mean, most of that made it into at the game. They brought some of them back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah. Um, Triple digits, not going to lie. I, I No exaggeration. <laughs> I throw this movie on when I want to go to bed and watch something comforting. I throw this movie on when I am working, just to have something in the background. I throw this movie on when I want to watch it and sit down and eat popcorn and just watch the whole thing. This movie is in an endless rotation for me. It is the first movie that I've always put into any sound system I ever buy. Just so I can put on the T-Rex escape scene. That is the like definitive testing my surround sound scene. <laughs> I did that with VHS, I did that with DVD, I did that with Blu-ray, now I'm doing it with digital. It's I, I cannot think of another movie that I've watched as many times as this one. And I don't see any time stopping. It, it never gets old to me, it's always the same, so I, I can't wait to talk about it. I will say that for a mid-90s movie, it doesn't really date itself a whole lot. Exactly. Other than there's a few, the, like, there's a few things. There's a few things. Yeah. And, like, some of the tech that they use. Yeah, it's got CD-ROMs. And if you touch the screen, it... <sighs> yeah, some of the tech definitely dates the movie. But other than that... Those are very Lord. small scenes in a long movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still... It doesn't feel like a long movie. I still look at a 1992 Ford Explorer decked out in that paint job with a bubble and think that looks so slick and futuristic and modern. And it's a 1992 Ford Explorer. <laughs> So, I mean, thank you, John Bell. You really designed something that makes me think that it's always going to be futuristic and amazing versus something that fades into the background. So, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot in this that I understand where you guys are coming from, but, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about this. I mean, w- w- what's sitting in your garage right now, Rothy? Uh, Okay, so everybody thinks Ghostbusters is my favorite movie of all time, which I understand why people think that. I built my own proton pack. I have a ton of Ghostbusters merchandise, putting it lightly. Decked out your Um, first car as an Ecto? I've got a 2007 uh, Ford Edge that's completely decked out as an Ecto-1 with siren, lights, everything. Um, Roof rack. But this is my favorite movie. I can tell you, honestly, the last time I watched Ghostbusters was maybe 2016, 2017. And like I said, Jurassic Park... I'm not going to lie, it's probably an average of about a dozen, if not more, per year. So, <laughs> yeah, right now I've got a I got a 91 Jeep Wrangler in my garage. It's almost completely finished. Uh, decorating that to be a film accurate, as close can be, uh, Jurassic Park Jeep replica. So, that's been my dream car since I was a five-year-old, coloring in the coloring book at daycare. Thinking to myself, man, I want that when I grow up. And the fact that I... It's a different feeling when you look at the Ecto-1, and it's a tribute car, and it's like, yeah, that's cool. But when you open the garage and you see literally something that was on film sitting in the freaking garage, the same exact shape, same colors and everything, that is just a whole other feeling. That's Jeep <laughs> so, number five. I chose five because, yes, I was uh, five years old when I saw the movie, so I thought that would be a good oh. number to stick with. And five's the one that came well, back in World, right? Uh, five, five was never on screen. The only Jeeps that were ever filmed were 18, 10, uh, 29, and... Uh, oh, it was 12, 18 that came Jeep. back in in 18, Jurassic yep. World, yeah. 18, yeah and... 18 and... Tell me how much you like Jurassic Park without telling me you like Jurassic Park. 
right? <laughs> right? Well, 18 and 29 were the Jeeps that they took the guests in the beginning of the movie. And then 12 is Nedry's, car, or Nedry's Jeep, and then 10 is Muldoon's, which I've always wanted Muldoon's, but you can't legally do that because it takes the roll bar off. But, oh man, does that Jeep look sweet. So you're saying that this would be your topic if you got in one of those game shows that said, pick a t- topic that you are very knowledgeable about and we'll ask you a question <laughs> about it. If I needed somebody to like give me movie, like give somebody movie facts to keep me alive, Jurassic Park and Andrew Rothy would be the movie facts and he he would keep me from dying i'm i'm 100 <laughs> percent humbled by that thank you very much <laughs> so yeah uh it's needless to say anymore uh this movie is massively impactful on me massively if you have not seen jurassic Park, shame on you wow shame on <laughs> you go, go watch. watch this movie or i believe they said in uh uh swiss army man if you don't know jurassic park you don't know shit i mean they're not wrong <laughs> yeah still don't want to watch <laughs> yeah. that movie oh it's so good though it's so good it's so bizarre so if you need a quick primer on what the movie's about rich man Builds himself up and decides he's going to uh, do something no one else has done. He manages to clone Dino DNA, and he builds a park full of dinosaurs. They're not actually dinosaurs, and though. And he needs oh, spoilers. Sorry. And so he's got to get the final thumbs up from some professionals so his park can get insured and operate. And when those professionals come to the park. All hell breaks loose because he's not paying one of the IT guys well the, enough. The IT guy. There's, there's two. Yeah, there's, yeah, Sam, there's, Sam, a, there's Mr. Arnold. Jackson, I guess. Okay. There's, there's Mr. Arnold. I, I've always been curious about that too growing up. And I've, I've done research into it, but there's really no definitive answer from what I've found. I would love to know specifically what Hammond's referring to when he says, I don't blame people for mistakes, but I do ask that they pay for them. I'm assuming, putting two and two together, he had something to do with the security system for the lock on the Raptor pen, but I, I don't know. Like, maybe that's got something to do, so he's putting the blame on him for the lawsuit. I have no clue what he's talking about. I've always wanted to know. But you have that little bit, you have that little nugget, just that little nugget that Nedry screwed something up and Hammond's making him pay for it. I thought I read somewhere that, like, Nedry just fucking, like, blew all the money that john gave him i mean that's implied too and he, then he was greedy and wanted more yeah when like he was trying to like renegotiate his pay john is just like no it's not my fault that you're terrible with money where did i read that is that in the book i don't, I mean, remember. don't remember oh god and i don't have a copy no of i it i don't I either it from the library but also i mean it it gets you to the end of the movie where Hammond needs to pay. Well, yeah, he made a yeah, mistake. Yeah, it's kind of setting him up to be yeah. uh, the big mistaker at the end of the movie. Well, at least he survives the movie, the book. unlike the oh. book. He should have gotten Compassord in his, bo- his, his uh, bungalow. That's why we have action figures to play with that scene. It's okay. How else are you going to have a sequel otherwise? <laughs> well, that's that's a huge that's a huge difference. Okay, so we could get into the weeds tremendously with the differences from the book to the movie. And that's just oh, that's yes. just like scratching the very very surface. Of that's my Hammond first note. I should have read but the it's... book before re- watching the movie so I could see what the differences are. Oh, they're 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 gigantic. Hammond in the book is more of a you know pompous asshole who is out to prove the world that he's got a god complex and money, whereas in the in the movie he's more gentle and kind hearted. He's like your grandpa. He's everybody's grandpa. 
you can't imagine this man being bad. He's just a little misguided. <laughs> so. I, I could have sworn that they did Malcolm like perfect to the book. They did, which is surprising because he was originally cut from the movie in the first how many ever drafts. So the fact that he's in this and we got such a great performance out of uh, Jeff Goldblum is just <laughs> it's, it's icing on the cake. But yeah, I digress. There's there's a lot, a lot that we could talk about with that, but that would be like two episodes in full, the differences between the book and the movie. Okay, so let's not. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would love to see the movie. I, I think I've seen um, I think I've seen at least several comments online throughout the years that it would be great if they took the book and made it into a, a series of some sort. That would be cool. I'd love to see them building the park. I'd love to see them actually going through the process of the stuff that happened in the book. That'd be great. So one of the things that I found answer that may answer the the Nedry conundrum that we have mm-hmm. because Nedry makes a comment about he, that he gave Injen the lowest bid yeah. and like he seriously underestimated the cost and ended up, lo- ended up losing money himself. Yeah, which is Ken actually pasted it in. That's directly from the book. In the book, they delve more on the fact oh, yeah, that... that's the same Reddit post I'm looking and, at, at right now. Yeah, in, in the book... So since we're going back into the book, the book, <laughs> the book delves more into uh, more into the fact that, yes, they bid too low, and Hammond basically was a tight ass, and he was squeezing Nedry for all he was worth to provide a bunch of crap that wasn't, you know, contracted. And he's getting pissed off because there's no way to get more money. And... Hammond just kept basically saying, deal with it, deal with it. And that's where the whole, you know, disgruntled employee thing comes from. I still don't believe that that's correct for the movie, though. Because the response from Hammond doesn't make any sense in comparison to being the low bid. It sounds like he fucked something up, and he's being directly held responsible for something he fucked up. Because Hammond gets yeah, pissed. Yeah, he's being held responsible for... Putting in too low of a bid. It's not, but no, that's that's not a that's not a mistake. Hammond, he's Hammond is a shrewd negotiator. Yeah, but if you pay attention to that uh, second or third opening scene where he's talking them into coming to the park, mm-hmm. he leads with, "I'd like you to come out." And when they are hesitant, he says, "I'll fund your dig." And they're still hesitant, and he says, "For another three years." Yeah, he only. He keeps on having to offer more and more until he gets what he wants, and then he stops. And that's all you're going to get out of this guy. I agree, but the context of the second sentence doesn't make sense. The second part of what he says to him. The first part, sure. I don't blame people for their mistakes. Maybe it was a mistake that he bid too low. But the second part of, but I do ask that they pay for them. Why is he paying right. for you a mistake? You made a mistake. You made the mistake. You pay for your mistakes out of pocket. You didn't... You, you, low, you lowballed to... me, and... Right. Your bid is what I decided, and you're getting what I'm... I'm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I don't know. I'm still on the fence with that one. <laughs> but I mean, we'll I never know. know. We'll never know. T- I'd prefer to be Nedry having to pay for the paddock uh, accident thingy, but obviously it's going through insurance yeah. because the insurance company's kind of involved now, and we're already not scene by scene. Uh <laughs> <laughs> we're going back. Yeah, we're about to all over the place. <laughs> yeah, we need we need to get away so from the, the movie book. Starts off, the book yeah, is a whole other yeah, conversation. Whole other conversation. So the first scene in the movie that everyone gets introduced to is that wild squealing <laughs> box <laughs> being delivered. I, I'd say the first scene. Full I'd say the raptor. first scene in the movie is the movie company, and they introduce you with uh, flavor, the text font, jungle sounds. Mm, yes. Uh, yeah. The font being what it is, and then also they set the mood 
for the movie with the music that's playing, yes. which is a huge yes for this movie. It's just the music is fucking amazing. Within the first five seconds, you've got you got the chirping of of bugs and trees and everything. So it tells you it's taking place in the wild or there's something wild about it, right? As the Universal logo is panning. But then with the dum-dum, with the big, deep bass and the flutes and the wind instruments, oh my God, it's just such a great opening, like you said. It really just does so much in five seconds. It's crazy. I constantly forget how this movie starts and immediately jump to Lost World's opening. So I, <laughs> right. I get like I get thrown on my head being like, what? what is happening? Because the book does the same thing. Yep. There's good reason for that because the book... Yeah, the book dealt heavily with the compies and the attack on the baby in the beginning. And they wanted to do that for this, but they held it off and filmed it for The Lost World. So well, that's I mean, a very reasonable expectation that that one messes with your brain. Baby death is kind of hard to sell. It is, it is. But, oh man, Crichton's got away with words when it comes to killing things. I mean, the, the Nedry death in the book is so oh, grisly. Oh my god, is it? Yeah, <laughs> grisly's an understatement. Uh-huh. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so this scene... Uh, if you don't mind, Joe, is the uh, you start off with Muldoon telling people to push this crate into a wall, being careful, lots of guns, lots of employees. The crate separates from the wall. One person gets knocked over. Why was the gate not animated, like automated? That would have saved that poor man's uh, life. Maybe it was automated and Nedry has to pay for it. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, so the guy gets dragged into the cage, lifted up off his feet uh, sideways almost comedically and then uh Muldoon's yelling shoot her while trying to hold on to the guys he's dying it sets up Muldoon as I don't like dinosaurs but I'm here as well as the tone of the movie which I'm not entirely certain it's not supposed to be a horror movie it wasn't what kind of movie is this supposed to be they had to fight actually for a couple scenes in there because they thought that they'd be too too graphic like they didn't want to see anybody specifically die being eaten alive by the dinosaurs in the movie. So the T-Rex actually eating Gennaro off the, the toilet. That was something that they actually did as long as they didn't have like blood spray, you know, coming off the body and things like that. And it just, it, it they had to actually argue that point to get that scene in because they thought it was an impactful scene watching the T-Rex actually gulp somebody down. <laughs> but So wait, wait, wait. The lawyer's name is Gennaro? Yeah, Gennaro. Yeah. Donald Gennaro. Okay. Have you all ever seen the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? No. no. It's been on my list for ages. It's a fun movie. It, doesn't age well <laughs> however there is a commercial constantly referred into this commercial or in this uh, in that movie that's i prefer generos but what do i know i suck the heads off fish it's a bear talking and i don't know interesting generos i i wonder if they use that name on purpose or if it's just generic he's supposed to be like a generic uh Sucking generic lawyer. lawyer although is he a lawyer i don't know he is we'll yeah. get to that He's a good lawyer. He's a good lawyer that goes out in the middle of the... He's also an accountant? Yeah, yeah, but he goes... He's the best kind of lawyer. He's the one that goes out in a three-piece suit in the middle of the jungle to go talk to people. Yeah. That's a good guy. Do shorts count as a third piece? No, 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 no. The beginning, when he's going on the little raft thingy. In the amber mine. Yeah, and he's actually wearing pants. And then yeah. he's uh, supposed to be on a tour, and he's wearing shorts. Yeah, yeah. But we're getting, we're getting too far ahead. Let's go back to the... Yep, 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 yep. The raptor loading into the paddock scene. So... We also had a 
token black guy dying so does that make this a home uh, a, hey, a hey, horror hey. film hey to sam jackson's comments about a year ago or two years ago he said he'd love to come back to the franchise because they never explicitly showed him die uh, that's true <laughs> they just showed his arm yeah he said the same thing about uh said the same thing about star wars but there was supposed to be a filmed scene where ray arnold actually does die but due to the hurricane that came through in real life while the movie was filming the set was actually destroyed that they were going to be using, so it's just implied that he died with the, with the you know, gnarl up arm. But anyways, back to the raptor paddock. <laughs> but also, one last thing about the horror is, they don't show the raptor in this scene. No. Which is, you know, well, they do. pretty common for a horror movie. They don't show... The bad monster. Yeah. The bad person right away. They wait to do the reveal. They show glimpses, so, if anything. I mean, you can see its side, yeah. you can see its eye, that's about it. A silhouette. But that's that's another great thing to build the suspension, build the tension, which works very well. It's also a good way to cut budget, because yeah. how are you going to have a puppet dinosaur realistically eating something that early in the movie? Let's just lift them up, build some suspense. Good movie making right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, there is some stuff that I, this time around that I was like, mm, like the cage kicks back from the paddock. Yeah, was it? Why was the cage not locked down? They have the gate lifted. Yeah. So in my terms, is the paddock wide open at that point? I would then? assume. Are they going to let all the dinos out at that point? That's a great point. Yeah. Is it empty? Is, are they just loading that one in yeah. at this time? You know, it, it leaves up the question, and someone runs in between. Between the paddock and the crate? I would assume that it's the first one going in. At least from what I expect. I expect that to be the big one that Muldoon's always referring to. The troublemaker. Yeah, yeah, So I'm assuming that they they finished making that paddock and they were just loading the big one in. It just goes to further how much of a nuisance that Velociraptor was. So Didn't that big one... Wasn't that added after the fact because it came in and took over the pack? Well, yeah, that's just it. They, They had a raptor paddock that they had to build to separate the raptors because they were, you know being led by the big one to destroy the fences and whatnot and attacking the workers. So they had their own separate enclosure, just like the T-Rex and everything else. They had normal fences and all that stuff. But because the raptors were being led by the big one to cause a ruckus, they had to basically shove them in this tiny little prison cell, if you will, until they figured out what the hell to do with them and essentially reinforce their, their exhibit. So that's why they're in this thing. So if I had to guess, and this is me getting really into the weeds, if I had to guess... It's probably the first one that they're putting in the prison. It's probably the big one. Yes. And then that's why I go back to the Nedry thing, because if it's a new facility and they're putting the raptor into it, my guess, and this is really <laughs> jumping off the deep end here, but my guess is maybe Nedry helped program the security for that, and maybe the gate showed that it was locked, or sounded that it was locked when it wasn't really locked. So potentially, you know, the the cage wasn't locked in, but everything looked clear to them. So they opened, start opening the door to let the raptor out, and oh no, the, it's actually not locked in place. The sensors are off, or something crazy like that. That's why I put those two to two together. But that's crazy fan speculation. So. That's the best kind of fan speculation. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with crazy fan speculation, <laughs> especially when it's about a movie that's already out and there's not really any real answers out there. So yeah, that's the perfect time to have speculation, not when a movie's about to be released. Stop talking, people. You're just going <laughs> to disappoint yourself. That's where I put those two together. It's like, for me in my own head personally, it's not canon, it's not anything certified, but for me, it's a satisfactory answer of, oh, Nedry probably screwed up on designing the security system for the locks on that or something, and that's what Hammond's pissed about, saying I don't blame people for their mistakes, but do ask for that they pay for them. Because it's a direct mistake he made. He's directly responsible for it. And it cost him and the, and the investors money and blah, 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 blah. So in my head, that's a good answer. <laughs> but I know it's not canon, so... It makes sense to me. That's where my head goes with this damn movie. I've seen it in triple digits, okay? 
<laughs> now, if the big girl mm -hmm. is in that crate and Aussie man there is yelling, shoot is that Velociraptor dead or can it withstand M16 and shotgun? That is a, beanbags. That is a good question. Yeah, are they firing lethal rounds or are they firing They have tasers. less than lethal rounds at it? No idea, but it's coming from the it's coming from the guns because you hear it they're as shooting the scene something, fades out. But we don't they're know shooting if what they are. Guns. Yeah, you know, later in the movie, uh Grant shoots a shotgun uh at a window. And the holes that that thing makes are just, they're tiny. They yeah. have the same, yeah. so I you have wonder, the same, the maybe they note. got needles in them. It's like a BB gun or like a 22. Yeah. We all have that note. <laughs> Bullet holes too small to be a slug shot, but too big to be bird shot. Also, this dinosaur is fucking tough as hell. It can push away a giant metal crate from a wall. It can lift up a human. <sighs> I moved the scene slider and the gate into the paddock is not up. Okay. So the gate of the okay. crate was lifted, but the paddock gate was not okay. open So yet. the dino could run into the gate gate and uh, push it away from the wall. Something like okay. that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I, I started counting iconic lines and shoot her. Shoot her! Is number one. Yep. Work her back. It took me until about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, to actually understand what he was saying. Because <laughs> all throughout my childhood, I had different things. <laughs> it's just like, work heavy? What does that mean? And then, you know, you come to realize it's like, oh, work her back. Shoot her. I love Robert Peck. I'm sad he's gone. This was such an amazing performance for me. I love him. Thank goodness for uh, being able to clean up a movie so you can actually understand what's going on there. <laughs> yep. You can see clearly that the Velociraptor shot first. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is one that uh, didn't get messed with. And then from there, we get sent to uh, South America. It feels like South America Land jungle. of God Ambermine. Dominican Republic. So they go from one island off of Costa Rica to another island. And that's where your three-piece mm -hmm. suit dude shows Being up. tugged along. Being pulled across on a very fun raft that he's having a hard time balancing on. Or some would say being pulled into ham and shit. That's, a, that, that, that's apt. I guess. Apt. And he's a very easy character to hate. I thoroughly enjoy the little details that Spielberg puts in. Like the things like you could just have a normal standard introduction. But the fact that there's like little things that humanize the characters. Like he slips and falls in the beginning. That's... I love crap like that. Because he's not wearing the proper shoes. Smacks his head on the beam on the inside. Like, he's just, he's out of his element. He's not supposed to be there. Who does he work for? Number two. InGen. I would assume he's probably, yeah, I'm assuming he's probably an InGen uh, lawyer. Who also works with the insurance company with or for? Because at the in the first scene here of, that he's introduced, I felt like he was saying that he was working for the insurance company. But I could see that he or see that it perhaps he went to go talk to the insurance company, and they said these are our demands. Bring that to your boss to uh, sort out. Yeah, he definitely works with Hammond because he's talking all about profits. Yeah, later in and the that's movie. like so. This first scene made me feel like he was working for the insurance company. Every other scene. We're going to make a bundle, uh, coupon day, which, fuck that guy. Yep. Another reason to not like Donald Gennaro. Anyway, uh, yeah, you definitely get a feeling like he's working, not only working for Hammond, but also an accountant. At least has some sort of investment in the company itself, too. Yeah, maybe gets bonuses. Because why else would he care yeah, about Yeah, as long as it passes, like, why would somebody care about how much a company makes as long as they can make enough money to pay their salary? Mm -hmm. And stay afloat. I, I think this scene also kind of makes a little nod towards the camp. And it this movie does that occasionally, but not a lot. This is the one, one of the scenes in the movie that I think to myself, it's like, eh, 
it just it feels kind of weak, but at least it wraps itself up in a timely manner. They get the point of what's happening out there, yeah. and they wrap it up. And they also introduce Grant in this scene without having Grant being there. Grant's clearly a widely respected and recognized scientist to the point where he would be recognized by someone who's just digging. Yeah, he, Grant's like me. He's a digger. You're not going to get him out there. He's also in Montana, in case you were wondering. So speaking about that amber <laughs> in the mine, they first like light it up. You can see at the end of its proboscis, there's a little drop of blood. But they take the blood from the abdomen of a different... See, I, I, for some reason, I thought that the amber that they pulled out in that scene is the same amber that they use for like making the dinosaurs and is the same amber that Hammond has on his staff. That's obviously not the, not the fact. It's just another surprisingly rare find getting a fully like whole engulfed insect in a block of amber. Right, those trees must have made a ton of sap. Well, too, like think about how many different kind of dinosaurs that they have DNA for. They had to have at least found one uh, mosquito in amber per dinosaur uh, genus. What do you uh, call that? Species. Either way. Ruthie, how many did they have? Count your barbersaw can. <laughs> Fifteen. Because of a because okay. of a scene called out two scenes from now. Oh, okay. I missed that part. So at least that many were found. And if they're getting them all from the Dominican Republic. <laughs> you would hope that they would uh, find multiple different uh, DNAs uh, and be missing different parts so they could fill in even more of the strand. I'm not sure they even knew what they were dealing with because, I mean, they clearly had some misspellings on those uh, containers in the cold storage. But we'll get to that. That's <laughs> yeah, fine. You're just making dinosaurs. It doesn't take anyone too special to do that. No, no. And in good fashion of presenting a... A character, this time Grant in the digging scene, and then answering who is Grant in the next scene. That's a, a good methodology of guiding a viewer through a movie. And we are taken to the desert. Where did you say this was? Montana. Montana. And they're digging dino bones. Perfectly preserved dino skeletons that don't exist that way in real life, but they make a gorgeous bit of film. That's all I got to say about that. Near Snake Water, wherever that is oh. in Montana. I was like, what? Snake Water? I've never had near Snake Water. I've never even had actual Snake Water. <laughs> Sounds gamey. And I think this is the first scene that people remember from the movie if they haven't gone back to it often because of the kid. God, I hate that little shit. <laughs> this is the second time recently that we've had to deal with this child. First time was Adam's family. And uh, yep, it's just the, the role that this kid is born to play did he play the same role in the sandlot because he's in that movie too right it's just honestly in the eyes <laughs> <laughs> those red rimmed i've been smoking weed all <laughs> day eyes yep, exactly. they're also super super dark <laughs> eyelashes anyway yeah turkeys birds so you got alan uh, they so they are dusting off a thing they say the thing's ready Let's shoot this thing into the ground. They shoot it into the ground. Somehow this thing knows exactly what density to look for for a dino bone, which is actually stone. Shoot that back up to the computer, right? Mm -hmm. The text is mm -hmm. too perfect. I For radar... It's, it's a sonar. It's, it's a sonar, But even sonar, yeah. it's too... It looks more like an x-ray. It looks 
super good for whatever it is, especially if it's going to go get wonky if somebody touches the screen. But I guess that's just to be like, oh, this is really sensitive. Like, don't touch it. <laughs> or maybe just it's Alan who's bad at being with electronics, which they kind of allude to. I think it's I think it's foreshadowing showing that the technology exists that people are reliant on, but it shows how fragile the technology is. It's cool they have this thing that's like really advanced and it, it'll make it so that they don't even have to do their job anymore, but... As Grant displays, it's like... They're not going to have to. Yeah. As Grant displays, it's like anything can break it, essentially. But also, uh, it's really funny to be like, look at this new-ass technology that we have that we don't even need to dig anymore. And then a few scenes later, oh shit, there are real dinosaurs. We don't need to dig anymore. Yep. <laughs> really fun thing there that, if you're paying attention, is neat. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of setup in this movie. There's a lot of payoff in terms of uh, foreshadowing an event or foreshadowing just a throwaway line that seems throwaway at, the, at towards the end, things like that. So there's a lot of those coming up. Little to none in the way of Chekhov's gun. <laughs> Which I know you like a lot, Dan. Escape from it's New York. Fun to, it's fun to point it out. Fuck, fuck that movie. <laughs> fuck everything about that entire movie series. <laughs> the one thing that I think about in this scene is the way the movie decided to portray the relationship between Grant and uh, Stella. Well, everyone else on the site too, though. I don't know where you're going with it, but I got something too. If it's not the same thing, well, the movie for some reason it stands out in my head that it portrays them as being very close, if not a couple, and they don't really tell you because they also act very professionally too. And even though she's talking about kids, it never feels like... She's talking about kids with him. I totally share all of Grant's feelings on children throughout oh, same. 80% of this movie. It's even more <laughs> fucked up when you feel that way as a kid when you watch this movie. I don't remember them being in the same kind of relationship in the novel. Again, that's whatever. But I also like the fact that they don't become anything more than what they are set up in this scene i don't think they kiss at all in the movie they don't really hold hands she runs to him and gives him a huge hug because she didn't die but that's yeah. understandable uh, she does call him uh hun in the trice triceratops scene yeah mm -hmm. but is that is that like an honorific instead of a yeah so they obviously have some kind of relationship that relationship that they have you don't know whether or not it's romantic or just a super close friendship because they've been digging for years together see and that's that's just and it. honestly it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, yeah. In the book, it's a definitive no. It's it's just that they're they're colleagues. But in this movie, I think the closest you get to a real answer is when Malcolm and Grant are in the Explorer, and he's going off about asking if she's single, and steps over the line and offends Grant and asks him, "Oh, I'm sorry. Are you two? And he goes, "Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, that's all you need. It's it's even an ambiguous answer. <laughs> it's great. Right. Because <laughs> in the previous uh, scene, uh, he was saying, "Hey." I'm always on the lookout for the next the future Mrs. Ian Malcolm. Malcolm. Yep. <laughs> right. Do you think uh, Ellie wants that honorific? No, she's with me. Don't you dare. <laughs> it's a protection type thing. I've interpreted that as protection, not necessarily right. that it was true. That he's protecting his partner, mm -hmm. he's protecting his friend, or again, yeah, they could be an item, but it does, like you said, it doesn't matter. It's up to interpretation. Yep. Exactly. Some movies don't 
let you do that. They're like, oh yeah, they're a couple. Here's a scene of them right. making out. Does it further the plot? No. No, you just have some people making out and you you hired good-looking people and now you have hot oh, people CW. making out. Yeah, the That's CW. All this totally the is. CW. For sure. I <laughs> uh, can't stand that channel. I'm glad how they handled it in this yeah. movie. I like it. Movies could deal with a little bit more subtlety where it doesn't matter. Just like this. It makes it interesting and open to your own interpretation and kind of drives you to continue to on watch. It's a really neat thing that they got going on for themselves. And that's not where I was going to go with. I was talking about, I was going to say, Grant, right after he touches it and things go weird, he's like, oh, it's a wonder that these things turned into bird. It's no wonder these things turned into bird. Look at that. It's got the backwards uh, pelvis and air pockets on its spine. And then people come up and start la- uh, start laughing at him. No, the, the kid comes up and laughs at him. Well, no, no. Everyone on the dig site who's standing around listening to him talk, laughs at the fact that he thinks that they used, that they turned into birds. Well, that's because this movie was so monumentally just impactful for that um, that exact no- notion that everyone was expecting, oh, dinosaurs? And the immediate thing in their head was slow, lumbering lizard dinosaurs. And that's literally what the whole process of getting this film out there was about in terms of Spe- Stephen wanted them to actually feel like living, breathing animals versus these lumbering, moronic things that were in other movies. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's cool. It's cool in the past. You know, it's just the the ideas and breaking those notions that people had. I mean, this this movie was gigantic in that department. It's obviously a lot of things have been disproven since then because you can't make a movie and have it hold up when there's going to always be new discoveries. So, you know, T-Rex not being able to see you know things that aren't emotion uh the, the whole feather debate but that actually fits in with the science of this at least the feather debate always comes up for these for this movie and this franchise specifically but because i think a lot of people didn't read dinosaurs. the book they're not dinosaurs yeah. right exactly they didn't read the book or they didn't actually pay attention to mr dna because yeah right it, they're, they, they are more closely related to lizards because of the amphibian dna that filled the gene sequencing gaps versus just being full-on purebred dinosaurs that you know are 100 percent accurate of exactly what they were supposed to be so that it almost is a saving grace because it allows the movie to evolve along with that real world discovery while it kind of has its own flair for the time being it's kind of cool yeah. That's why you see the trailer for the new one, and there are some feathered dinosaurs and whatnot, because obviously they probably have more DNA and they have to fill in less sequence gaps. Biosins, maybe cloning dinosaurs, dinosaurs I don't know. We'll never know, because it's not going to come out. They use turkeys instead of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess the point I was trying to get at was there's a comfortableness with people around Grant. People like Grant, mm-hmm. that they can go up and like laugh when he says something that they think is silly and he's like, no, I'm serious. It also is an interesting character choice. Like you like, Oh great. It's exposition time. Like hooray. But also he's that kind of guy that would be the professor that would be like, no, no, this is what the truth this is what would happen. Like he would be the guy that would go around and just talk about all the facts. Cause he's just so enamored with the dinosaurs. And that was what makes him a rock star in his field. Also though, <laughs> It's interesting when you take that person who's willing to do that and then do the same thing to the kid, explain heavily why you wouldn't want to mess with a six foot turkey. And then later in the movie, he can't bring himself to talk to the kids because they're, he's scared of them or something. I don't. Well, no, like he's, he doesn't like kids. So he's got no problem, you know, tearing into one. But I, I think trying to be on a likable level with the kids, that's probably difficult for him. Right. 
Yeah. It's like, it's a very interesting, like you can definitely tell there's like, there's something between him and kids and maybe Ellie's trying to push his buttons that way. It makes her laugh a lot. <laughs> Forcing them two kids on him. <laughs> that it does. That scene so much. I've seen it but, yeah. in the movie. <laughs> I mean, without destroying the, uh, the pacing of this, there, there is a fan theory that obviously there's an underlying story to the story. And that's what movies I absolutely love the most is when it's not just a cut and dry point A to point B plot, but there's other elements within baked inside of it. And this movie has been dissected by fans and there's there's a theory that it heavily involves Grant's journey from not wanting children to wanting children and just that that acceptance and that that change shifts and there's actual noticeable scenes in the movie with that in terms of this this beginning where he doesn't want kids at all he has his he has his set opinions on him and everything they go through a, a terrific disaster with everybody involved and that changes his mind and opinion and the scene specifically where you can see him change and that's supposed to be kind of like a symbolic representation of him changing is when they fall asleep in the tree and he throws the Velociraptor claw because he's throwing away that old part of himself, essentially. Right. And then as the movie progresses, he's becoming more and more protective of the kids, more and more involved with the kids. And I, I love that excellent, like, split tone like that. I love that there's another story going on with the story, with the story, with the story. It's not just a, people come to Dinosaur Park, oh no, they get out, eat people, leave. And I think that's kind of where the newer movies fail. They, they do have some, you know, separate stories going on, like the divorce and things like that, but there's there's not a lot happening otherwise while the movie's progressing. So, I don't know. That's that's one of my favorite things about this movie, is this watching Grant kind of grow throughout it. Character growth in a movie? Uh, is I that know, a thing? No, that's, that's not allowed. Shit. That's Holy not shit. allowed. Huh. <laughs> Call the police. Well, what we'll have to do is pick up that phone and dial up the next episode in two weeks because we've hit our time limit for this first episode of digging in and uncovering the bones of jurassic park so come back in two weeks when we excavate these bones again with a helicopter can we land a helicopter in the middle of the next one and be called jerks (laughs) or something i don't know okay who's the jerk